Good morning. Are you cold? Yeah, turn the heaters on, please. Hey, it's great to uh, have you along this morning, and we've got people uh, who are streaming in from all around, even Ireland, be sure to be sure. They're uh, looking in and uh, hope they're going to enjoy this time. I think, are they relatives or friends of yours, Nathan and Grace? In-laws. In-laws. Okay. All right. Just made that emphasis. But it's great to have those who are streaming in with us this morning. But great to have you come and for those who are visiting because of the baby dedication this morning. Just remember that straight after the service, we're not having morning tea, uh, but there's luncheon on. Uh, for those who want to stay for our uh, church members meeting, uh, you're most welcome to stay. There are always exciting moments uh, in the life of any church to have a church meeting. Amen. And nobody said a thing. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so we'll get that over and done with as quickly as we possibly can. But notice outside there's a coffee machine. Now, I've got a feeling that Alicia is going to, after she gets back from holidays, that is, every Sunday morning before church, the coffee machine is going to be on. So if you want to come early and have a coffee, she will make it for it. If she can't, Sam's going to do it. All right? So choose between the two who's the best, all right? And then just say, can I have Sam's, please? Uh, or can I have Alicia's, please? Whatever. So others can learn too. If you want to learn how to be a barista, line up because uh, Alicia and Sam will show you exactly how to do that and we're so blessed that we've got it. Thank you, Max, for all that you've done in the... Uh... It's not finished. No, it's not finished. It's covered up. Uh, it's got to be painted and decorated and all that type of thing, but we wanted it here yesterday and uh, so this morning as well. All right. Good to have Merv with us this morning. Norma is in a much better position, I hear, uh, that I think she's been placed into the ward, I think, yesterday. Was that right? Yep, good. <laughs> Praise God, so that's good. And uh, I can't think of any other announcements, Judy, that I need to make. Is that all? But um, uh, lunch will be around about a half an hour after we finish the service, all right? Rather than saying it's going to be at such and such a time, it's half an hour after the service finishes. So if the service finishes at 2 o'clock, it'll be at 2.30. <laughs> All right. And that'll all depend on Nathan, uh, who's got a lot of words in his, uh, in his mind that he's going to share with us. But I'm going to enjoy, invite you guys to come up. We're going to do a baby dedication. Do you like the chairs? Don't you love the chairs? I reckon we should have them here every Sunday and I could just preach from here. I wouldn't get as excited, though. Um, so you guys come up. Good to have you all up this morning. Um, you'll notice that uh, there's some little uh, pictures that will flow through. Do you want me to lick that for him? No. <laughs> Probably not. But it's good. Hey, look, this is an, look, it's an exciting time whenever a baby is dedicated. This is what you call church growth. And, uh, and I encourage you to get into church growth, all right? And uh, you want... <laughs> <laughs> we, we want you guys over here this way. So how far do you want them across? As far as possible. We need you guys over here so we can get you in the picture. I'm not sure, I, don't mind, I don't need to be in the picture so long as they are, all right? Do we need to come in for They're right there? Okay. All right? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. 
But this, this is, a, it is a special day for you guys. There's no doubt about that. As a family, and I know that you've been through a whole journey uh, that I've picked up in the times that I've had the opportunity of visiting with you and sharing uh, for this particular day anyway. And uh, I'm looking forward to the, uh, to the story, or part of the story anyway. I know it won't be a full story. But they have been on a journey, and some of you, most of you will know uh, some of that journey, and uh, it's been a tough one. It's had its rough times, it's had its ups and downs, um, but to see you guys here, and I tell you what, the smile that you have on your face is unbelievable. It is really unbelievable. And uh, I have the sense that you're not the normal stepmum, you're a real mum. The wicked one. <laughs> <laughs> But I know that George, Olivia and Xavier, they, they love you and I know that and of course Charlie as well. And they've become this blended family that has blended together exceptionally well and we need to uh, give them great support uh, today. And thankfully is that we as a church, their church, as well as their family um, and friends, we join together to, to see little Charlie Dedicated unto the Lord. I love Charlie because my, my dad's name was Charlie, so I, I love it. And today we're able to also live stream, as, as I said, uh, from lots of places around. So as we do that, we're going to do it in a number of ways. Firstly, Nathan and Grace um, wish to express their joy of the absolute birth uh, of little Charlie. Yeah, look at the camera. Oh, there's you. Oh, he's looking at his own picture. That's what he's doing. I was just, just trying to think, what's he looking at? That's good. Okay, you don't need to look at me, just look at the picture. All right. <laughs> but so uh, Nathan and Grace wish to express their joy of the absolute birth of their precious son, Charlie. But they want to welcome him into their family in this traditional way, um, but includes their relatives as well and those who are in Ireland, to be sure, to be sure, and uh, their community of friends. Uh, and they wish us to to participate in that, to have the joy of that as well. So mixed with, with the joy that comes with the understanding of the responsibility that is now theirs as a family. It's as a family. I love that. And they have recognised that since Charlie was... Will you stop laughing? <laughs> a great deal of their lives will be involved in caring for him, obviously in guiding his developing and uh, nurturing his growth as a, as a human being. But it's certain that the more love that is placed into Charlie, he loves us looking at his picture. <laughs> Show off. <laughs> but the more love that we place into him and they as a family place into him, the more love that he'll be able to share as well. And that's, that's just so important. And, and secondly, Nathan and Grace bring Charlie to be dedicated to the Lord. That's the most important part. And in Luke 2.22, we read that Mary and Joseph brought their baby Jesus to the temple uh, in Jerusalem in order that they might present him before the Lord, which is exactly what you... Will you turn those off, please? Ah, <laughs> oh, dear, it's beautiful. And so in the same way, uh, Nathan and Grace uh, bringing their son Charlie presenting him under the Lord uh, this morning, our God. You know, in different branches of the church, they do that differently, but it, it really doesn't matter the words that we use 
in terms of dedication or christening and, and some, of course, they use baptism and it's okay. But the most important message is that I love this child. That's what Jesus is saying. I love this child and I have a place for him in my plan which I'm working out through the church. The reading that Nathan and Grace have come up with uh, today is, is probably a little bit different to what so many dedications have, but it's a most important and a most beautiful uh, passage of Scripture, which is found in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And he had this over his, the, the end of his cot, is that right? Change table. And every time, uh, it'd be Grace changing, it wouldn't be Nathan, Grace changing uh, his nappy, uh, he would look at this uh, plaque which had it on. Let me read it to you. And then there's a little bit of an explanation which the Passion Bible brings in, which I really love. It says this, But when the Holy Spirit come, uh, controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And here there is no conflict. Which goes on to mean joy that overflows. Peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of the heart and strength of the spirit. Isn't that a great way of explaining it in that simple words? Let's pray. Lord, you have blessed Nathan and Grace with this beautiful little baby boy in Charlie. And I know that they feel blessed. As I can see that, Lord, so often upon their faces. And Lord, I know that raising children in a society that we have today is not easy. So Lord, I'm asking that you will guide them in all, in all their decision making, plus in their training of him into the man that you've purposed him to be. May he grow to be a great man of the word, a man that loves your word above all other things, that will be thrown his way, I guess, in life. May he experience your grace in abundance. May he grow to always honour his parents and be faithful to his calling in life. And the Lord watch over Nathan and Grace and their, all their family, Lord. May the promises that they agree with today be an inspiration to them both as they seek to guide Charlie uh, in his life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know that. Where did it drop? Coming over here somewhere. Oh, there it is. I'll lick it for you. So do you guys as parents. Um, we still got them in the right spot here. We're right. Nathan and Grace, do you as parents present your child, Charlie James Ferguson, to be dedicated? Do you in the presence of these people and as sincerely as you know how, Commit yourself to endeavour to instruct Charlie in love towards God. Will you, with God's help, <clears throat> provide a Christian home for him and see that he grows up in the knowledge of Jesus Christ until such time as he's able to choose for himself? Thank you. Recognising the privilege and responsibility of parenthood and your dependency upon God for wisdom and strength to faithfully carry out your duties as parents, do you now present Charlie to be dedicated, seeking divine blessing and guidance for his life? Okay. You know, modelling this uh, type of love cannot be done alone. It just can't be done alone. It requires the help of others. 
There's an old proverb that says, it takes a village to raise a child. And that's so true. And parents have that primary responsibility, but parents need the help and the support of a community, of a tribe. So I want to direct my questions now to the church, as well as to Nathan and Grace, as family and friends. I wonder, as a church, would you stand with me? So that Charlie may walk in the abundance of life that Christ offers, do you as a congregation, family, commit yourselves, by God's help, to be faithful in your calling as members of the body of Christ, to help Nathan and Grace be faithful to God and to help teach and train Charlie in the ways of the Lord so that he might one day trust in the Lord as Saviour. And if you accept, accept this responsibility, please respond by saying we do. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay. I know I've got it here somewhere. We're just going to anoint him with oil. I know I bought it. Have a look at your picture. Look at that. Look at the picture. Too busy looking at this, is it? Charlie, I just anoint you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of God's Holy Spirit. You know, it's just oil, but it represents what we believe is the oil of the God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I just want to pray for you. Charlie James Ferguson, I pray for a great release of God's grace and love and total well-being into flowing into your life from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And we as your tribe, we will pray for you because we are filled with joy as we think of your faith that will grow daily that is being passed down through your family line. And may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. And we all said, amen. I'm going to try this. Whoa, look at that. Look at that. First time. Come to think, is he out of nappies yet? (laughs) Oh. Wow. Did you take a picture, Anne? You better take a picture. Nobody will believe it. (laughs) There we go. Hey, God bless you guys. There we go. You can stay up here, Nathan. Yeah, let's give them a clap. Thanks, Nathan. We're right for this, are we? I think that's on. Try that. You know, it's not my style to stand behind a pulpit. And um, I think in life, my story gets told across the cab of a ute or in the cockpit of an aeroplane or in a truck, not across the pulpit. So it's just not my style. So we sat on the chairs today. 
And if you don't like the hat, well, <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> um, I'm going to read. I'm going to read a fair bit of this. Might get a bit intense. Um, God's definitely blessed me with grace now, but I'm 44 years of age and I've got a fair bit of a story. But I thought the story I'd I'd concentrate on was the the walk through cancer with C- Catherine and uh, how God got us through that. Bless you, brother. Come on, you're right. Yep. God bless you. I guess my testimony, as far as where I decided to follow the Lord, was right, right back when I was 16 at Wondilagon Camp. I remember sitting down with Rob Hunter, one of the leaders, and praying. A fair bit of water has passed under the bridge since then, and God has been a strength through my life, right throughout but also there were times when I didn't honour him as I should have. I was wondering which part of my story would be something I wanted to share and I decided to talk about my walk through seeing someone's journey with cancer and working out and seeing God in it all. I've been blessed with grace now, but for the moment I'm going back to Catherine and my story. <laughs> that's normal too um, I mentioned there were times I didn't honour God and before Catherine specifically I'd been through a nasty divorce and this probably had been a time where the worst I'd been treated by people not saying I was an angel I had a long list of things I had to work on but as a result I turned away from God at this point I remember I was up at Drillery laser grading tomato ground and we were just being proper lads. Scotch fillet and veggies and chips every night, six to ten beers, people magazine sitting on the dash of the ute, country music. We had our jeans tucked into our boots, living the dreams. Burning diesel, drinking and chasing wild women. Sounds like a dream, but I knew it wasn't right. Despite what I thought or how I was treated by Christians, this was my first lesson that Christians can be crap at a lot of things, but that wasn't the way God was. And I had to learn that a fair few times in my life, you know. We were home from a break grading and I ended up at the AOG church in Echuca where I met the Costa family. And to cut a long story short, we hit it off. Um, this led to the next part of my story. I got to know the Costa family and, accept, and they accepted me unconditionally. Uh, don't worry, I think Catherine's father and I got on so well because he'd been a bit of a lad too, as well as a pilot. It was spoken of this daughter, Catherine, that was at uni and apparently she'd been worded up about me and it became about that we met and we were quite um, apprehensive at the start because who wants to be set up? But I knew this girl was a special person. I must say, they didn't tell me about the warranty issues that may occur in the future, but 
When you're young, you don't think about this. You think you're indestructible. To cut a long story short, my charm was too much. I fell, <laughs> fell head over heel in love. <laughs> this one more point uh, in my life where I thought, God, you've got it right and you love me. We went on to get married, had the children, George, Olivia and Zave, all blessings, and I already had Ingrid for my first marriage, who we loved dearly but just didn't and still don't have a lot of contact with. But that's a whole other story. We had a yearning to go farming and we were managing farms and then ended up starting a spraying business. I remember Sue Rodder, a lady, she couldn't get anyone to spray a small block and I said, I'll come and do it. I proceeded to do the job and as we were leaning over the ute bonnet, she said, do you have an air seeder? And I said, no, but I'll get one. And we did and some big tractors and in, in the end we had three air seeders running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This went on to be a five-year sowing and spraying contract and that set up our cash flow. These, there's stories like this uh, where you can see God's hand. One more quick story on how we acquired our first property. We were living on a property in Blighty and having a yearning to farm but no wads of money but determination, a cash flow and big balls, if you can say that in church. I found a property in Barham. And there was a system I had devised that if all my numbers added up, a deal would work. I must add Bernie Ryan, an old school agent, who's now passed. He would show me properties knowing we had no cash and he'd put any deals to the owners. Long story short, we locked in the deal on 600 acres, $1.3 million deal and we had $10,000 deposit. If that's not God, I don't know what is. Mm. It doesn't say... It's going to be easy and in these times the districts had a lot of water trading going on. We were selling a bit of water to do the deal but because we were selling it out of the district um, an announcement was made on the radio that if your paperwork wasn't over the the desk by the, this Friday uh, after the announcement on the radio you had to pay a fee and to us that was a quarter of a million dollars. So here's Catherine and I with an unconditional contract for $1.3 million dollars and our $10,000 deposit, now we have to pull another two fifty out of our butt. Well, God's not going to get you a certain way down the track and let you down. The outcome was we borrowed a bit more money and the people who we bought the farm off uh, halved, uh, halved it with us and we, and we could settle. And we've always had 11th hour stuff like that with our Christian walk. I have 13 years of stories like that, but I guess you'll have to learn to fly or sit in the truck with me to hear more of them. Um, I need you to understand that through these times we had our trials, but we were blessed and loved life. We churched in these times at the Barron Community Church, and as time passed, we ended up buying a dairy farm, and we were, as I explained, on top of the wave. Worked stupidly hard to get there, and finally were cruising a bit, but that wasn't to be. Catherine, you must understand, was a hard worker, strong Christian, and you'd find, and and you'd find awesome in all aspects. It came to our attention that she was having a few problems swallowing, and as busy people, she would go to the doctor, and they would give her medicine for her stomach ulcers and things like that. And we didn't take much notice, and I especially didn't, because we just focused on what we were doing. Boys aren't real good at that. Um, she was going. Um, she was good at not making a big deal about things like this. A few things caught my attention, one being 
at the Berry's place for lunch where we were having sandwiches and she ate a quarter and then rushed off to be sick. I said, book into the doctors and I'll go with you this time. This time the doctor said, I think she needs a camera to check that the issue was in her throat and maybe two weeks until the appointment. And remember, I'm still a lad. I said, like how we go today. And uh, as it turned out, the next day we went to Swan Hill. I remember getting pulled up by the police on the way there and I showed him the paperwork for the appointment and he just let me go. Mm. From this point, our lives would never be the same. They discovered a growth the size of a toilet roll in her esophagus. At this stage, it wasn't clear to us that it was cancer. It was a couple of days later that this was hit on us. We had no idea until the doctor in Melbourne said she had cancer. So the next step was to St Vincent's. The following day was the first of many trips to Melbourne. I had organised workers, kids, getting looked after, and it was clear that God had provided workers and people around me to help in this area. We had moved church to Kerrang Baptist at the time, and the church certainly stepped up. I often joke that you can't, can't eat so much lasagna, but people don't know what else to do. So cooking meals is always a blessing. So thank you all. God showed his love for his people. Don't think for a minute that I wasn't asking God, uh, but we had to remain faithful. But I was angry to be in this position. There was no part of me that wanted to do any of what we'd done on our own. A single dad, three kids. I know we must remain positive. God has it, Nathan, that's what people would say. But if I'm honest, I would doubt God and uh, if he had the situation at hand. Everyone does, probably. You've got to watch when the devil gets in your head because he, he knows what, where your weaknesses are. Well, Catherine went through chemo and radiation. She had stents in and out, massive operations to remove tumours, which was now much smaller, smaller due to treatment, which to us was very positive news. Humans love to hear positive things. Catherine was on the mend, we thought, in the January. We had wanted to get back to some normality and were faithful uh, that we had to go through the valleys and that we were almost out the other side. We were so confident that I didn't even go down to Melbourne. Um, I let Catherine go down with her parents. I was driven. I was at home working, business as usual. The hill was over. Let's get on with it. But that actually wasn't the case with much disappointment. I listened to Catherine tell me that it had spread throughout her body and more chemo and etc. was needed. She came home from Melbourne and was sent out to Bendigo. To the meat, to the meat. the meeting where you get the six months to live diagnosis. Let me tell you, the trip home after that is not something you want to do twice. But still we remain faithful. Catherine's face was next level. She pressed into God more now than ever. It was God's provision in this time that we had been requested by a banker to take our life insurance to proceed to borrow more money for the farm. 
It was only maybe three months before Catherine getting sick that that occurred. I remember Catherine saying we'd only had just taken out the policy. She often laughed about that. And, uh, and, and that had been a great thing. And, and another, another spot where God had his hand on our life. This allowed, allowed us to do a three-month trip up the East Coast, <laughs> spending time as a family. Create, create special memories. And that money allowed me to keep paying bills while I was in the next valley. I saw prayers, I saw extreme stuff, I saw positive things, and I saw faith at the highest level. One story in the hospital where there had been some friction with within family, Catherine's parents, sister and kids, and our kids, along with Pastor Bob and Anthea. We all came together, Bob on the guitar, and we worshipped. God, God turned up in that room that day. Very, very special. There was some tough stuff healed that day, and this was the last day the kids saw their mum. I decided... to protect to protect them from the next two weeks or so that proceeded eventually leading to Catherine's passing. Good intense Sunday morning. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I was there I was there that morning that she left and I watched the colour go from her hands, but I knew the body was broken. I had enough faith to pray that that God, if it was God's will, she'd rise from that bed, but she didn't. I remember placing a red rose on her chest and walked out of that hospital broken. Very relieved. I knew my next task was to go home and look after my kids. So that I did. I remember getting home and sitting the three children on the bed and giving them the news their mother's gone. Not much fun, but that's where it was. We had to pick ourselves up. Oh, we went and got a hamburger each at our friend's cafe. <laughs> we came home and watched Heaven is for Real. And the children and I had peace from knowing that she had a new body and she was pain-free now in heaven. Mm. Amen. Obviously, funeral and all that stuff passed as we were travelling through life in those early days, often quite timidly, but remaining <laughs> as strong as we could. I had three kids at dairy farm and still all the other commitments and things we'd built up to navigate on my own. I was pretty blessed to have two workers that kept the farm rocking to agree. I would wake up, get the children to school late most days, then have a chat to the workers with all my ideas for the day, then go inside, draw the curtains and watch a show called Ice Pilots until the kids got home. And then I'd tend to them the best I could. I remember not wanting to go to bed. These were pretty dark times. It went on for a year. A pile of mail that you didn't want to deal with. 
I probably should have sold the farm then, but I wanted to keep one thing the same for the kids. Everything had changed, so at least that would stay the same. The reality was that without Catherine, I was never going to remain. It took, took me nearly five years to realise that, and it broke me financially before I would put up the white flag. They reckon that your wife is 60% and the husband 40%, but I reckon it's still 50-50. But, but it was through this point that I was in the next valley. Dark days they were. I guess, I guess people have their option, opin, opinion of how the game should be played out from here on in. But to all those people, there's no rules on moving forward after death and... Like and and the trauma we'd been through, mm. I believe many people were praying for me. But in particular, I know the Berries were praying that someone would come into our lives that is of God and would help me with the task at hand, as well as love me and the children. You must remember, I'm prime real estate, 38 years old, four kids, <laughs> divorced, dairy farmer, and now grieving a late wife. Top setup. <laughs> I guess I'm now free to move forward in all areas and that also meant relationships. Biblically, when your wife passes or husband passes, you're able to enter into another relationship. It's a funny story and like all things, we see God's hand in the next chapter. Meg Stewart having a housewarming party and we'd been invited, the children and I, so we attended. And it was here that I met Grace around a fire pit she had built earlier that evening. It turns out that Grace had been told of our story previously but wasn't aware of who we were at the time. So I turned up at this fire pit and sat down. I put some music on through my phone and this was obviously something we had in common. And lo and behold, she could milk cows (laughs) and, and was looking for work. Not very long after that, I chatted to her on Facebook and offered her work and she accepted the position. Within a short time, we're hitting it off pretty well. There's 16 years between us in age, but that doesn't seem to worry us, and still doesn't to this day. The forthcoming months and years would have their challenges. Me trying to navigate my way through a new partner and navigating kids also. This little things I haven't got on here, but I don't know if you've been through that process, but I'd, I'd move something in the house and it'd be back there by that night. Like the kids, the kids struggled with letting things get moved and hmm. it's not easy. And uh, if, you, if you're going through it, I, I don't actually know how to advise you. It's just a tough gig. Um, Grace and I decided on a couple of occasions that we would not continue with the relationship. But we stuck together through these times. We headed to one, Melbourne one particular weekend and in a hot air balloon, I'd ask Grace to marry me. Mm. The engagement period went on and Grace and I had a lovely wedding in Swan Hill. Three families joined together to celebrate, Grace's, mine and Catherine's. Grace has always wanted to try to be gracious to all involved in our story. We had a one-night honeymoon 
and it's straight, straight back to the farm to continue with the cows and children. Not very fair, but we'll get the honeymoon one day. <laughs> I hope the previous years... I hope. The previous years had taken a toll on my life and I've probably, I'd have probably become angry with life somewhat. The farm was getting me down and the excitement and passion had certainly dissipated. This would be fully realised when Grace, when Grace and I had a big, big argument and she actually left the farm early last year. I obviously had a streak in me that said, oh well, but I also loved her and had to realise that the the girl God had put into my life, I was pushing away. During this period, I had to do some things for myself and I was still trying to talk to Grace, but she wasn't keen to be part of the project anymore. Some of the things that I had come up, some of the things that I had come up and deal with were for myself, my attitude, my walk with Jesus. It was at this point for the first time in five years that we, the children, and I decided to get some counselling we didn't know if Grace was coming back, but definitely as a family we would recommit our lives to God and we learnt some new skills and techniques to move forward with or without Grace. It was during this period where I decided my time milking cows was done. I remember slipping over in the mud one afternoon and just sitting there crying. I'd just had enough. So unknown to Grace, I'd started to plan my exit from the dairy and started to sell machinery etc to free me a bit financially don't worry putting up the white flag is quite humbling but by far one of the best decisions I was to make I'd been working on a project in the house doing up a bedroom for Grace I remember even asking a few people whether it was worth it and they said keep going and uh We'd never, we'd never had that, and this is a bit like that, moving the, um, moving something in the house. Like when we were married, like we, um, the time we were married, we had Zave on a mattress at the end of our bed. I guess that was hard for Grace, but these kids were needing, needing me for coping with everything that had happened. I'll tell you one little story on this. One of the kids would always be with me in the bed before Grace came um, when we were married and uh, I remember coming home from the honeymoon and Livy's sitting on the bed in her room like this. She says, I've been kicked out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is one thing that I remember that's funny now but at the time it's pretty intense. What do you tell a kid, you know? Um, I guess I wanted at this point to fight for my marriage. It's not not often you find someone to love you like Grace loved us all. I pressed into God and the children and worked hard building this room, continually praying for our marriage. I told Grace about the selling of the machinery and cows and and I remember her saying, don't do it for me, and I wasn't. I had to realise that my dreams are daring and the farm was Catherine and my dream. And it was gone. It was quite amazing how everything sold. And I think if you're a close friend of mine, I've, I've probably showed you the list of how day by day God would 
allow these things to sell and pay the loans out and HPs out. I have a list there, what I called God did for us list. It's a long list. I think at this point Grace had seen or heard of my endeavours to improve myself and my position and some of the things she'd been praying for were actually coming to pass. So to me and to the kids' excitement, through God's grace, Grace decided to re-engage with our family. A lot has happened since this point. The reason we're here today, little Charlie, we've sold the farm and I'm flat out flying every day, a job I love. Things seem a lot easier, but it's not without challenges. And God knows the desires of your heart, but it's all in his time. So that's all I've got. Why don't we pray for you guys? Um, I wonder if the elders would like to come, please. Um, and Max, you, you've known you've known Nathan for a long time. How about you pray for him? Um, come around the back. So come over this way, so it's in the uh, you're in the camera area. Um, what an incredible testimony uh, of God's grace. I was just thinking of um, the two of you, uh, kind of a, a Mercedes-Benz with a Ferrari. Uh, yeah. 200 series length. Uh, too hard to. <laughs> I knew we'd have a comeback. Um, but I just want to say thank you for, for sharing that with us. Um, I've heard a little bit of it when we sat together. And uh, I, I've seen the growth. I've seen the growth. I see it in you, um, and that to me is wonderful. And to see you up last Sunday with Georgie singing uh, was, uh, was wonderful as well. That just shows how you as a family are just going ahead in God. So, Max, would you pray for them? Lord, we thank you so much for friends. Mm. We thank you for this church. And we thank you, Lord, for, for Nathan and Grace and um, the family, Lord, we thank you for what you have, that each one of us can rest in you. And as we've heard Nathan's story, we thank you, Lord, that he has lent on you and that he's known that there is no other way but you. Mm. And Lord, without you, we are we are nothing. But we just thank you that... He and uh, Grace and the family, Lord, have been able to just give themselves to you. And that in that doing that, you have reached out to them. You're always there for them. And you have a plan for each one of us. You know that, and you promised that, you said nothing. Life would not be easy. We never promised an easy life. Mm. And there's stu- hard stuff come along. And Lord, not many of us would want to, none of us would want to go through what Nathan and the kids have gone through. But we thank you, Lord, that you've brought them out the other end. We thank you, Lord, that you, that Nathan has committed himself to you. And we thank you for that testimony. And that he knows that this is the only way. It's the only way to get through life. We thank you for the, for the little Charlie 
for grace coming into their lives and for what a wonderful testimony that is. Um, for Grace's just glowing smile. Mm. We love it. Mm. And, and she's a gracious girl. She lives up to her name. Lord, we thank you so much that uh, we can just see your life in them. And we ask you to bless them. We ask you really, Lord, just to continue to watch over them. And when times get hard again, as they do sometimes, we just pray that um, Nath might just continue to lean on you, Grace also, and the children, Lord, that they might continue just to know and trust in you right through their future. We ask these things in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Kaz. Would you like to come? Well, it's great to um, hear your story this morning, Kaz. I've heard a little bit about it, but I'm looking forward to hearing the rest Thank of it. You. So share with us. Thank you, Pastor Paul. Um, when I was thinking about today and, and putting down a few thoughts, um, God gave me a title for my testimony today, which he's never done before. I've shared it in a couple of churches and um, the title he gave me was The Prodigals Will Return But We Never Are The Same. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those of you that don't know me, um, I'm a teacher at, at Korean Christian College. I've been blessed um, to be employed. This is my six, sixth year there and um, it's the most amazing workplace I have ever stepped foot in. Um, so giving your testimony can be a quite daunting thing um, and you have, to be, you have to be prepared to make yourself vulnerable and to trust the people that you're sharing your story with, that they'll take your story and that they'll hold it gently. Um, but the reason that I love to share my story um, is that testimonies give me so much personal encouragement about how God works so intimately in people's lives. So I hope that through my story you'll see God's handiwork whilst remembering that, like all of us, I'm still a work in progress. So the title today, The Prodigals Will Return But We Are Never the Same, I think comes from, came to me from the idea that we often speak about praying the prodigal's home, and we should, and that's something that um, I'm certainly a product of. Uh, But one thing that I can promise is that we we don't ever come home the same. We bring our baggage with us um, and that means we come back in need of a lot of understanding, a lot of patience, a lot of love and a whole lot of God. We come back from a broken world and how it has treated us. We come back with habits that don't fit neatly into the four walls of the church. And some of us, and I mean me, (laughs) may even come back with tattoos, heaven forbid. (laughs) So the two pictures on the slides that I've chosen um, are for very specific reasons. Firstly, they show that I was once a pretty cute kid. Um. But the second is that they mark a really significant time in my life. And when they were taken, I had no idea how pivotal they would become in my story. 
But in the 12 months between the photos on the left, two-year-old me leaning up against my favourite uncle's car. You can see my love of Ford started at a young age. And three-year-old me wearing dad's gumboots and holding the shovel, getting ready to go check the water. The 12 months between these photos marked the end of innocence in my life. I didn't know that and I didn't know that it would change the trajectory of my life for the next 40 years. Within these 12 months, for various reasons, I spent significant periods of time living with my mum's parents. And during this season, my grandfather began to sexually abuse me and it would continue for the next 10 years in one way or another. Now, a two-year-old doesn't understand anything that's going on around them or what, that what is happening shouldn't be happening. But as the years went on, I came to know that what was happening was something I would go out of my way to avoid at every chance. The one thing I never did was tell anyone. In fact, it would be another 10 years before I told anyone and another 20 years before I told my parents. I did a great job of hiding things. And as I grew into my teenage years, I hid behind perfectionism. I worked hard at everything I did and I was very successful, successful academically. I was the first in my family to graduate high school. And I was the first in my family to attend university. I moved to Melbourne and I studied at the University of Melbourne and my secret remained buried deep inside. But during my third year of uni, I came home to find that my house had been trashed by my housemate and that she had locked herself in the bathroom. And as that day unfolded, we came to discover that she had become, had began to have flashbacks of being abused as a child by her grandfather. And that was the end of me managing my situation. On that day, those 10 years of my childhood exploded and they rained havoc on my life for the next 18 years. The box was opened and it couldn't be resealed. I walked away from God. I was angry. I was angry at God. I was angry at my parents. And I was so angry at my grandfather. I was just angry. I had no way to deal with these things that I could no longer push away. So to block it out, I found other ways to cope. I found it at the bottom of a bottle. I found it in the fog of drugs. Anything that would give me a few hours of peace. A few hours where I couldn't remember where, where I couldn't feel and where I couldn't see him in the corner of every room I sat in. I somehow made it through my degree and my grad diploma of education and I decided that a change of scenery was what would solve the problem. And so I arrived in Swan Hill in January 2000, a graduate teacher, new to town, knew no one and most importantly, no one knew me. But the one thing that came with me was me. Luckily, in a country town teaching in a Catholic college, drinking wasn't expected, wasn't, wasn't an exception, it was expected. 
And so I continued to self-medicate and to hold the memories at bay. And for a while it worked. But slowly, slowly things unraveled and I was diagnosed with major depression and generalised anxiety disorder and forced to take time off work. I eventually made it back to work and for a time I kept the darkness at bay. In 2007, a work friend casually said to me, you should come check out our new church building this Sunday, some Sunday night. I jokingly replied, I think the roof would fall in if I stepped through the door. It took a few weeks, but one Sunday afternoon, I, th- I found myself thinking, well, maybe I will go out and- tonight and check out this new church. So I went. And as I walked in the door, the roof didn't fall in. And I heard a voice say, welcome home. I was found standing in the foyer by my colleague. She grabbed my hand and said, come sit with us. What she didn't mention was that her husband was the associate pastor and their designated seat was the front row. (laughs) That night began the most painful, traumatic, difficult and powerful season of my life. God gave me a spiritual mentor, something that I had never had before. An amazing, godly woman who took me on and eventually moved me in with her family for the next four years. Together we went on a journey with God. I was still angry and I was full of shame. Shame is twofold in the life of an abuse survivor. Firstly, you're ashamed for the actual abuse. But then you're also ashamed of everything that you did to cope with the pain. But then I was permanently off work, diagnosed with PTSD and on a disability support pension. I was also diagnosed with FND, a functional neurological disorder, which at the time was presenting as persistent seizures and just for fun at the moment as semi-paralysis down the left-hand side of my body. I was was told at that time that I probably would never work again and certainly would never be able to work full-time again. My biggest struggle still was, where was God? In those 10 years, I was being abused. But through journaling and prayer, God took me on an amazing journey of revelation and healing. He took me back to that photo of two-year-old me. And as I replayed the tapes of what was happening to me at the time, my mentor and I asked Jesus to show us where he was when that was happening. Over time, we prayed through memory after memory, each time asking Jesus to show me where he was. And he did. Every time he would be standing in the room, or sitting on the edge of the bed. And after my grandfather left, Jesus would come and pick me up and hold me while I sobbed into his chest. Eventually, after several months of this, we decided it was time to try and tell my parents. By this time, my brother and sister had known for some time but had agreed to keep my secret. As we began that meeting, my dad just looked across the table at me and he repeated, 
You just have to forgive him and forget about it. You just have to forgive him and forget about it. I wasn't sticking around for that. I got up to leave the table, but my mentor grabbed my hand and calmly told my dad that today was not the day for that. Today was just the day for me to tell my story. Mm. And so I did. I never really knew if they truly believed me or not. For them, they'd just seen a daughter brought up in a Christian home who'd made a commitment to God at the age of 13 but was now a rebel who lived a life against all the principles and values that they had instilled in me. A person they could no longer relate to, a person that when they looked at they no longer recognised. Once the secret was out, it hung in the air. We only spoke of it one more time. But over the next, sorry, but over the next five years, they did get to see their prodigal come home. They saw me fall in love again with my saviour. They saw the evidence in the changes in me. They saw it in the work I did as a volunteer youth pastor and the preaching that I shared. They even listened to some of the podcasts of my sermons. But it wasn't until I was leaving Dad's hospital room just a couple of days before he passed away and 40 years after the abuse had begun that he called me back to his bedside and he said, I get it. I understand what your life has been like and why you reacted the way you did. I finally truly understand. I had known that my Heavenly Father understood and he'd led me to a place where I was able to forgive my grandfather and hand him over to God. But to have my earthly father understand was something I had longed for so long. It's different for my mum. It was her father and she has her own journey with God to work through. We don't talk directly about it, but in recent weeks since this latest flare-up in my FND, she has begun to ask questions. How did this invisible disease take hold of you? And why does it affect you the way it does? And I've had opportunities to talk about my trauma and how it's caused my brain to work a little differently. How the wires have been scrambled and so messages get mixed up and don't get sent where they should go. And she has, with the assistance of my sister, begun to do some research. And so her journey has begun. And I would love if you could remember her in your prayers. I'm still a work in progress. If I let it, my FND can be a daily reminder of the damage that my grandfather did. And on my worst days, I can get lost in the regrets of the things that I did to myself. But God brings me back to the present. He reminds me of his love, of my many blessings, of my amazing family, my nieces and nephews, and of the amazing tribe that he has blessed me with here in Kerrang. 
And so I choose to move forward one day at a time. On the rough days, he carries me. And every other day I choose to live in the present and seek God for what he has for my future. Mm. Thanks for listening. Mm. Stay there. Stay there. <clears throat> I'm going to ask my wife Anne to come, Annie, if you'd like to come, and I'm going to ask you to pray because if anybody identifies with what Kaz has been through, you do. And I just want to encourage you as a congregation today, come over that side with Kaz. Um, as a congregation, if something out of even the both testimonies that you've heard this morning sparks something in your in your memory, don't push it down. The best way to deal with baggage is to talk about it, is to get it out with a trusted friend. And uh, there are some trusted people that I would trust in this church. I know if I needed to do that now, which I've already done, um, there are people who would love to share with you, including Annie and myself, uh, when, uh, when you have the time to do that and the, and the courage, because it takes courage, but it's a step of faith. It's a step of faith because that puts you then onto that healing journey, that healing path. And uh, what both Nathan and uh, Kaz have gone through is grief, the loss of something in their life. And uh, as I said the other week at North Haven, it's like peeling an onion. Every time you take off a layer, tears come into your eyes. And layers upon layers have started to come off in Kaz's life, as they did and still doing uh, in Nathan's life. So it is for each and every one of us. So, Annie, would you like to pray? For the men in the room, I encourage you to believe this story. I've discovered over the years, dealing with my abuse and even telling some of my family now in my old age, um, one brother-in-law doesn't believe me. And I think, well, that's your problem. Now I say that. Uh, but, man, it, it, it happens it's ripe in our society. It hasn't gone away with all the restrictions that we've put in to protect children because of a lot of the abuse comes within the home. So support Kaz in all of this. Thank you, Lord, for the miracles that we've heard today. Mm. You've taken two broken people and are putting them back together mm. and you're the only one that can do that. Mm. Thank you for Kaz's boldness and the way she has dealt with this abuse. And Father, I know that she is a godly lady and she will minister into the lives of people as a result of you opening her up. Because, Lord, we can't take any step unless you go before us. And Father, I just pray that you'll continue to, to help her to deal with this because often... At every turn, there's something that comes up that reminds us of the abuse. Mm. But, Father, I pray for her mum. And, Father, I pray that you'll speak into her life, that she will begin to believe all the things that Kaz has told her. And, Father, I just pray that she will learn to forgive as well. Mm. But, Father, be Kaz's strength. Heal her physically, I pray. Yes. And are you healing her Spiritually, I know that. 
and emotionally too, Lord. So we thank you for the way that she has given us her story today because it's a privilege to hear other people's stories. It's a privilege, whilst it might be painful for us to hear their stories, painful for us feeling for them, it's a blessing to to hear them. Mm. And it's a blessing to help us understand her more and understand other people more as we hear where they've come from. So, Father, I just pray a fresh anointing, fill her afresh after she's given out this morning. Yes, yes Lord. And we bless you for her. Mm. Thank you that you have brought her into this church and mm. to the school that she works mm. in. Yeah. And we praise your name, Jesus, that you are putting on her onto the road to recovery mm. Mm. and to being more like you. We bless you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Stay up. One other song or the song that... Um, that Kaz has asked us to sing is the desert song. I was just listening to one today. It wasn't the desert song, but it says sometimes it takes a desert. <laughs> sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes it takes a valley to get us through, to get us to understand the great and the graciousness uh, of our Lord and Saviour. So let's stand together, shall we, as we finish off with this beautiful song.